Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone on the east coast of the United States, central region, and the west coast it will be afternoon, and around the world. My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God, a biblical instructional program. Uh, today we're going to discuss something perhaps that uh, maybe has not been discussed before. I don't know, the tour of Messiah. Now, for those who are listening to me and are messianic, realize that I'm not going to teach that the tour of the Messiah is different from the tour of Moses. Uh, they're the same. But uh, I, I just want to focus on the instructions of the Messiah because we need to and uh, particularly since this is the time of uh, Pesach or Passover, uh, we need to, to go back and, and really focus on his instructions. Um, and I'm going to go into detail about that and what the tour of the Messiah is all about, and etc. Cetera. Uh, et cetera, rather. <laughs> and what I'm going to do first, though, is talk about uh, Obama's trip to Jerusalem. I got a recent article uh, from, um, if I can find it here, from the New York uh, Times. And it uh, looks like his itinerary has changed based on what I spoke about, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Uh, the New York Times article states this. It says, Obama's Israel itinerary includes some standard stops, but not others. And this was published by Mark Landler, uh, March 13, 2013, Washington. <clears throat> President Obama plans to visit the Church of the Nativity, but not the Western Wall, when he travels to Israel next week. He will speak at Jerusalem's Convention Center, which has something to do with the temple, uh, but not before the Knesset, Israel's parliament. And he will inspect a mobile missile defense battery, though not one in the field where they protect Israel from enemy rockets. These and a host of other scheduling decisions have been made by the White House as it seeks to orchestrate every minute of Mr. Obama's first visit to Israel as president. But before he departs, uh, Mr. Obama is confronted the reality that in a land so um, freighted with symbolism, any place he chooses to visit or not visit can strike a nerve. It says Israeli officials have voiced mild disappointment that the president is not addressing the Knesset, while Middle East experts have questioned how he can visit the Church of the Nativity, one of Christianity's most sacred sites, without stopping at the Western Wall, which is holy to Jews, or the Al-Ask Mosque, a holy site for Muslims. 
I quote, any presidential visit to Israel is highly sensitive because Jerusalem is a crucible of three world religions and everyone about everything about the Holy Land is highly symbolic and usually contested, end of quote, said Martin S. Indyk, a former American ambassador to Israel. So anyway, I'm not going to read the rest of this. I just wanted to, to point out that it uh, looks like he's not going to go to the Western Wall or any place near the Temple Mount, as people were thinking earlier. So that's the reason why, again, ladies and gentlemen, we have to watch. Uh, we're not going to know every little facet of prophecy. Prophecy is defined simply as future history, and we're not going to understand future history without understanding current history, ladies and gentlemen. Again, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, let's go there. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Verse 10, is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new, it has been already of old time, which was before us. Okay, so we, we have to apply that rule in regards to prophecy. And the important thing, let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Beginning in uh, verse 34. And I'm going to read this in a easier version to understand. Uh, the 1965 Bible and Basic English Version. But give attention to yourselves for fear that your hearts become overfull of the pleasures of food and wine and the cares of this life, and that day may come on you suddenly and take you as a net. He's talking about the day of his coming, which is initiated with the great tribulation, the 42 months, the three and a half years, the time, times, and half a time. Luke chapter 21, verse 34, For so it will come on all those who are living on the face of all the earth. But verse 36, but keep watch at all times with prayer that you may be strong enough to come through all these things and take your place before the Son of Man. And I have to quote this scripture because uh, I know people that, you know, we want to be able to endure the tribulation. But uh, this is another option that I don't think people really think about. Isaiah 57, verse 1, the upright man goes to his death, or woman, and no one gives a thought to it, and God-fearing men are taken away, or women, and no one is troubled by it, for the upright man, or woman, is taken away because of evil doing and goes into peace. They are at rest in their last resting places, everyone going straight before him or her. All right, so that is another option, and of course, if he takes mercifully takes your life away before he comes back, of course, you're going to be resurrected at the last trump, and you will stand before the son of man <laughs> okay so so either way of course none of us he, he didn't want to die he didn't want to die he didn't want to have to get beat like he did and so forth but uh he did it with joy because he knew that by him dying he's going to open the door for immortality for all of mankind so that's what he did and he was glad to do that and that's what uh Pesach, uh pictures ultimately so I just wanted to point that out to you. And not too much is really going on in the world right now. Uh, the same old violence and destruction and 
abortions, as I'm speaking, unfortunately, is going on. Pornography is, they're filming pornography, perhaps in Hollywood right now, as I'm speaking, in other spots, maybe in Las Vegas and around around the world, and it's all kinds of other things that are going on right now to send the Sodom continuing to spread worldwide as I speak. And um, I know that this month, I, I think March 27th, the Supreme Court is going to seriously consider overturning the Defense of Marriage Act. For those who don't know what the Defense of Marriage Act is, it's a legislation uh, originated from our President Clinton back in the 1990s that states uh, emphatically and logically that a marriage is between a man and a woman. And that's based on Bible. Let me turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 really is plain about this. Um, Matthew 19 verse 1, I'm reading this in the 1965 Bible in basic English version. And it came about that after saying these things or words, Jesus or Yeshua went away from Galilee and came into parts of Judea, which is the West Bank today, on the other side of Jordan. Verse 2, and a great number went after him, and he made them well there. And verse 3, and certain Pharisees, which are the modern rabbis of the day, came to him, testing him and saying, Is it right for a man to put away, which means divorce, his wife for every cause? Verse 4, and he said, and answer, Have you not seen in the writings or the scriptures that he who made them at the first made them male and female? So this is words out of Yeshua's or the Messiah or Jesus' own mouth. He said that, he made them in the beginning male and female. He didn't make a male a male, a female a female. Verse 5, In this cause will a man go away from his father and mother, okay, and be joined to his wife. So no doubt he's talking about the marriage relationship here. And the two will become one flesh. So he's saying that a male and a female is one flesh, not a male and a male and a female and female. This is from, again, Christ's own mouth in red letters in your king james version verse six so that they are no longer two but one flesh then let not that which has been joined by god be parted by man and and that's somewhat of a prophecy because that's what we're trying to do today that's what we're trying to do today and god calls the 12 tribes of israel today sodom our leaders now, keep in mind, I have to always give this disclaimer each and every week, because uh, I'm sure there's other people listening to me for the first time, at least I hope so, uh, that the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, which includes Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, the countries in Northwestern Europe, are a part of the so-called Ten Lost Tribes of Israel, I call I call it so-called because it's not lost to me and other people who know. And to find out more about this, go to www.beasandboyritam.org. And I suggest you also get his book, The Tribes. So that way you'll understand that when the Bible talks about Israel, it's also talking about the United States. Ladies and gentlemen. So... With that disclaimer, you should better understand the following scripture. I'm going to quote in Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw about Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzzah, Javam, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Verse 2. Now, I want you to notice this scripture. 
Give ear, O heavens, and you, O earth. So this is to be proclaimed in the heavens and the earth to the word which the Lord has said, I have taken care of my children till they became men, but their hearts have been turned away from me. Verse 3, even the ox has knowledge of his owner, and he has of the place where his master puts his food. But Israel has no knowledge. They don't know who they are. It's a prophecy. My people give no thought to me. In verse 4, another description of this country and all the other tribes uh, of the geographical locations. Oh, nation full of sin. A people weighted down with crime. A generation of evildoers. False-hearted children. They have gone away from the Lord. They have no respect for the Holy One of Israel. Their hearts are turned back from Him. So it, it, this is sad. And then he talks about our government. Our government. Verse 5. Why, why will you have more and more punishment? Why keep on in your evil ways? He's telling us when we do evil, we're going to get punished. Every head is tired and every heart is feeble. It's a perfect description of Congress. They can't make up their minds when they act like little spoiled brats. Verse 6. The body from head to toe, or the from head to toe is all diseased. It is a mass of open wounds, mark of blows, and broken flesh. And the King James Version, I think, is a better translation of this. It says, from the sole of the foot even into the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified, with ointments. Yes, um, essential oils help in the healing process. Verse 7. Your country, and this is what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, as we progress to this gay stuff. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And The daughter of Zion, daughter, which is prophetic, Zion, is the headquarters of Jerusalem. And, of course, that's where all the 12 tribes congregated. So it's not talking about just the Jews, but all the other tribes. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Verse 9. Even the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom... And we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Verse 10. And that remnant exists today. The remnant are the believers of Yeshua Messiah. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of Tor of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now. What does Torah mean, ladies and gentlemen? Torah means precept, statue, decalogue, and Pentateuch. And that's the first five books of the Tanakh. But the Torah, the word means instruction. So it is all of Yah's instruction. And what I'm going to explain to you today is that the entire Bible contains the instructions of Yah. 
and I'm going to prove that through not only the Tanakh scriptures, but also the Renewed Covenant scriptures as well. And I'm going to prove to you that the Renewed Covenant is also scripture, according to uh, what Shaul stated, and also what Yeshua stated. So I'm going to prove that to you today. I'm also going to prove that the Torah of Messiah is is um, not a distinct and different Torah of Moses, but it complements the Torah of Moses, and I'm going to prove to you today that the Torah originated from Messiah, not from Moses. A lot of people, especially Jews, believe that, but that's not true, because Messiah is the Word of God. So that's, that's a good way to start here. Let's turn to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by him. That's the Word of God, or the Torah of God. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, and the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehend of it not. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which light of every man that cometh into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came. He came. Not into his own. He came into his own, rather. He came into his own. And his own received him not. In other words, he came to the Jewish people. He came as a Jew, and a lot of them didn't accept him. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the power to become the sons of Yah God. To them that believe on his name. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14 is a pivotal verse. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, favor, mercy, and truth. Verse 15, and John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, because he was before me. Verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. Verse 17 is a pivotal verse, too. For the law of the Torah, let me read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. For the Torah was given through Moshe, or Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. So let's understand this this verse here, all right? It states that the Torah was given through Moses. It didn't originate through Moses. Moses didn't create the Torah. But grace, which involves mercy and truth, came through the Messiah. Now, what's the definition of truth? Truth, if we look at the scriptures, Psalm 119, verse 142. Let's turn there. Psalm 119. And remember, in the King James Version, when it translates Torah, it translates it law. But it should be translated Torah, the instructions and doctrines of Yah. 
Psalm 119. Verse 142. Your righteousness is eternal righteousness, and your Torah is truth. Now, in the King James Version, it states the following. Psalm 119, verse 142. It says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. So, the Torah came, as you're going to find out today, the Torah obviously originated from the Father. And the son gave the Torah to Moses. All right? And that's what I'm going to prove today through the scriptures. And the son also came not to destroy the law, but to complete our understanding of the instructions and doctrines of Yah. That is the instruction of Messiah and the doctrine of Messiah. Him explaining how we keep the Torah. It's not a another tour is um, a way for us to better understand the tour that is the tour of messiah it doesn't take away from the tour of moses it helps us better understand the tour of moses he came down to help us understand how to keep it all right so i hope that you understand what that word fulfill means complete to complete our understanding of how to keep the instructions and doctrines of Yah. That's what the entire Renewed Covenant Scriptures are all about, ladies and gentlemen. It helps us better understand the Torah. It doesn't take away from the Torah. All right. So, so we understand what the definition of truth is Torah. So we understand that Yeshua came to bring mercy, compassion, forgiveness, okay, um, favor, grace, and also the Torah, because it originated from him. Well, actually, it originated from the Father, and the Father gave him instruction to teach Moses and all the believers. So Matthew 4, verse 4. Matthew 4, verse 4. I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. But he answered the Tanakh, which is a name for the Old Testament. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of Adonai. Okay, and obviously he's referring to his father. Because um, his father has a mouth. John 17, verse 17. John 17, verse 17. Set them apart for holiness by means of the truth. Your word is truth. Now, this is this is a, a pivotal scripture because he's talking to the Father. He's praying to the Father. When you pray to the Father, you're talking to the Father. And he says, set them apart for holiness by means of the truth. He didn't say his words were truth. He said his Father's words is truth. <laughs> okay? So the Father's word is Torah, instruction. Doctrine. So I want you to understand. Let me underscore it again. The Father's words is Torah. Yeshua is the living embodiment of the Torah. He is the Father's word, the Torah in motion, the Torah in action. But the Torah originates not from the Son, but from the Father. Now, let me show you a scripture that proves that for those who are in doubt about that. 
uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 49. John 12, verse 49. I'm reading this in the complete Jewish Bible version for, I hope, clarity's sake. For I have not spoken on my own initiative. So this is Yeshua's own words, and I know it's red letters in the King James Version. For I have not spoken on my own initiative, but the Father who sent me has given me a command, namely what to say and how to say it. Let me underscore this again in the complete Jewish Bible Version. But the Father who sent me has given me a command, namely what to say, and how to say it, verse 50. And I know that his command is eternal life. So what I say is simply what the Father has told me to say. All right? So that's a simple scripture to tell you that he got all his instruction from the Father. That's where he got it from. That's what he got it from. And let's turn to another scripture. So John, chapter 17. Well, I already quoted that scripture. I wanted to quote another one here, if I can find it here. Let's see. And he says in verse 6, I have made your name known to the people that you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. me Look at this in the King James Version here. Here we go. John 17, verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me. So the Father gave him words and instruction to instruct us. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, which is a pretty interesting Bible study. And they believe that thou didst send me. All right? So, the again, let's understand this. The Torah comes from the Father. He gave instruction to the embodiment of his word, which is Yeshua. And Yeshua gave that instruction to his prophets as revealed and let's t- turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in various manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, who was that? Who was the God who spoke to the prophets? And that's an interesting question. So let's go to John for the answer to that question. John chapter 1. Verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. (laughs) The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So, obviously, they were talking to the Father. So, the God that they saw was Yeshua, as proved in John chapter 8. Let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 56. It says, Your father Abraham rejoices, see my day. And he saw it and was glad. In verse 57, Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and you have 
seen Abraham or Abraham? Verse 58, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, I am. And I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter 3, and then John 8, verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. So he claimed to be the, the Yah of the Old Testament, and he was. Because I read to you in the first chapter of John that he's also considered an Elohim, or God. In Exodus. Chapter 3. In verse 6, moreover he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Again, he was not looking at the father. He was looking at the Torah of Yah, the embodiment of the Torah of Yah, Yeshua, the Messiah, in his preexistent form. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. And this is Yeshua talking in his preexistent form here which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of the land into a good land, and a large land, into a land flowing with milk and honey, ice cream, no, anyway, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Pizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse 9, Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, of Exodus chapter 3. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, or the word of God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12, And he says, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve Yah upon his mountain. Verse 13, and Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am, has sent me unto you. So I am. The Yah of the Old Testament is no other than the Yeshua Messiah in his preexistent form. The Torah of Yah, the Word of God. That's who he is, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope you understand that. I try to explain that as clearly as possible. All right, so getting back to our analysis here of the Torah of Messiah which I hope you have figured out by now, is the Renewed Covenant Scriptures. Uh, let's go to, oh, let me first of all prove to you that the Bible uh, states emphatically that the Torah was given to Moses, that Moses didn't create the Torah. Second um, Chronicles chapter 33. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Verse 8. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your father, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law, the Torah, 
and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So it was by Moses, but Moses didn't create the Torah. The, the Torah, again, was given to the Messiah, the Word of God, and the Word of God, I am, gave it to Moses. Okay? So that's, that's the order, the progression there, as far as the Torah is concerned. All right. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 34. Starting at verse 4. And when they brought out the money that was bought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord, a Torah of, of the Lord given by Moses. Okay, so that I just wanted to prove that to you through the scriptures there. All right, I already quoted the scripture that Yeshua plainly stated that he learned from the Father. All right, and let me, I think there's another complimentary scripture there that uh, I could quote you too, if I can find it here. Let's see. John 8, verse 26, he says, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me, which is the Father, is true. Yes, that's right. He's Torah. And I speak to the world these things which I have heard of him. Okay, so, and in John 14, verse 10, Believe thou that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. He is the Lord's spokesman. Yeshua Messiah is an Elohim too, but he's he's not the top Elohim. He's the Elohim that does the Father's task. He does quite a bit of the Father's task. He delegates his responsibility to the Son of God, the Word of God, the Torah of God. Okay, so that's a very important thing to understand. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't understand that, and that's unfortunate, but uh, it's all there for anyone to, to, to look up. All right, so. There's a, uh, a um, well, first of all, let me let me establish here quickly that, because some people, and let me explain this. I've I've been on this journey now for I think 27 years now. The journey of unlearning error and embracing the truth of the entire Bible. And there's two extremes right now that I'm experiencing. Um, the the most popular extreme right now is people that are in the Protestant churches and the Catholic churches and so-called other Christian churches, they believe that the the New Testament or the Renewed Covenant is Scripture, but the Tanakh is toilet paper or the Old Testament is toilet paper. In other words, uh, that, that's my way of <laughs> saying they don't respect the um, the Old Testament Scriptures as much as they respect the New Testament Scriptures, which is ridiculous. And so they consider that toilet paper, and that's the way it is with um, a lot of Christians today. They they think that the that um, the law is done away with, or the Torah of Moses is done away with. I, I think many of them don't understand that uh, the Messiah's instruction is the same as the Torah of Moses. It just he helps us better understand the Torah of Moses. But anyway, 
the uh, and then you have the other extreme that is very disturbing. Um, people like myself, they start to understand that Yeshua is a Jew, and, and that you have to understand the um, the Bible through a Jew's eyes. You have to uh, understand their history, the background, and what was going on in the first century, which you could, you know, I suggest you have as a reference, uh, you read Josephus. Josephus was a contemporary, meaning that he lived during that particular period of time along with Yeshua and so forth. And um, he wrote down what was actually going on in the, in the first century. Uh, matter of fact, Jews say that, that he is the, definitely the best reference, historical reference anyway, to what was going on in the first century up and leading to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And and uh, you have to understand what was going on, um, the Judy, uh, the way Jews were acting at the time, the, the various uh, factions between the various sects of uh, Judaism at that time, and so forth, to fully and, and completely understand what Yeshua was talking about. And also... Uh, you, you need to understand the history of the Jews to, under, to better understand the uh, Tanakh and, and the Old Testament as well. Uh, in, in John chapter 4, let's turn there here. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 24. Verse 21, rather. Let me just... Read this here. Jesus said unto her, the King James woman, Believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem or Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22. You worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. So for salvations of the Jews. It doesn't say the salvations of the Catholics, the Protestants, the Muslims, or people who worship Buddha and all that. It, uh, it, it's, it's stating the fact that salvation comes from the Jews, and he's a Jew. So that's a basic fact. And then in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, Shaul or Paul states that the Jews have an advantage. And it even states that their traditions can be an advantage, the ones that don't do away with the law of the Torah and the instructions of Yah. All right, in verse 23, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, what is truth? Well, we know the truth is Torah. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So, I just wanted to point that out. Now, continuing on with my thought, I find that when people understand that you you, you can't detract the fact that Yeshua is a Jew and, and many of his followers in the first century were Jews and it was written to Jews uh, in the first century and also to Gentiles, um, that you have to understand the scriptures in that break way to fully understand it. And what that simply means is that you need to take your strong concordance <laughs> and look up some of those King James words uh, to get the full Hebraic meaning uh, of those words. Because what happened is that the uh, apostles, with the, well, Luke wasn't an apostle, but he was a, a servant of, of Yeshua uh, that was um, commissioned to write the Gospel of Luke and the, and the Gospel of Acts uh, for Shaul. Um, they were inspired to write the Torah of Messiah, which is the renewed covenant scriptures that help us better understand the Torah of Moses. And they're both not two separate Torahs, but they complement one another. And really, 
the Torah of Messiah is just a recap of the Torah of Moses, helping us better understand how to keep it. And that's really the simplest way I can explain what the Torah of Messiah is, without saying that the Torah of Messiah is totally different from the Torah of Moses, which is not, because it's the same. All right, so basically what people, the disturbing trend that I'm trying to lead to here is that the opposite happens. They discount the renewed covenant scriptures, and some have even some believe that the the, the new the renewed covenant scriptures aren't even scripture, holy writ, and that's unfortunate. Um, uh, but that I'm going to show you some scriptures today that prove that it is. And and uh, if you don't believe that the Tanakh and the renewed covenant writings are scripture, you're going to have great, dif- and I mean great difficulty understanding the whole message of the Bible. So you, you're going to have to to ask y'all to help you for those who are messianic that are leaning toward thinking that the New Testament is toilet paper now, that it's not as important as the Tanakh or the first five books of uh, the Bible, which is considered Torah, but again, there's all types of instruction and doctrine all throughout the pages of the Bible. So the whole Bible really is the instructions of Yah. As I'm, of, well, actually, <laughs> I just proved to you that all the words of Christ came from the Father. And the Father is certainly Torah because he said, Thy word is truth. It says, Father, your word is truth, and truth is Torah. Okay, so that may be new understanding for some people, but everything that comes out of the Father's mouth is instruction, folks, and, and doctrine, and we need to take it serious. So I have to, as a servant of God, bring that truth out. Because, you know, I know how the devil is. He's very clever and slick, and, and he just is an expert at con- confusing us and, and making us think something that's true when it's not. But anyway, let's get to the point as far as understanding that the Renewed Covenant Scriptures, which is commonly known as New, New, the New Testament, it's not a New Testament, it's a Renewed Testament, Second uh, Peter chapter three verse fifteen. First, let's get to the Paul's writings because people struggle with Paul today because they don't think that his writings are scripture. Well, Peter totally disagrees with you, ladies and gentlemen. Peter was one of the chief apostles. Um, matter of fact, I'm going to prove to you today that Yeshua is also an apostle, based on what the Renewed Covenant writings state. All right, so let's turn to Second Peter. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Because people have issues with Paul and, and so forth, and but Peter didn't have any issues with Paul. Uh, verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, as also in all his epistles. What does epistles mean? Let's look at the original Word for epistles, it means a message, a letter. Speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood. So he's not denying that you're going to have some difficult, you're going to have some difficulty understanding um, Shaul's letters, which they that are unlearned and unstable. I just gave you an example of being unlearned and unstable. You're unlearned and unstable if you don't understand that you have to to believe the scriptures in the context of Judaism. 
Hebraics to fully understand, because not you're, you're going to misunderstand some things. Um, as they also the other scriptures, other scriptures. So he's stating here plainly, Peter, one of the chief apostles, that Shaul's letters are scriptures, despite what some people think. All right, and he's saying also the other scriptures unto their own destruction, and this means holy writ. In the original Greek, the word scriptures, graph A. So, Peter is giving Shaul's writings. He's stating the fact that they are also scriptures. All right, so that, that's, that's significant. That's significant, all right? Um, also, First Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen and eighteen. First Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen and eighteen. Says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So it's telling those like myself who are preaching, uh, we're worthy of double honor. And verse 18, for the scripture has says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, that's from the uh, Tanakh, uh, the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. Now, that is not found in the Tanakh. The labor is worthy of his reward. That's found in the in the uh, Renewed Covenant scriptures, or what's commonly known as the New, New Testament. It's found in Luke 10, verse 7. And it says right here, and in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. That's where he got that from. All right, so those are two uh, scriptures that prove that the Renewed Covenant writings is also scripture, ladies and gentlemen. And for those who don't think that, you're going way off track, and uh, you're going to have some great difficulty understanding. Let's put it this way. Let me explain this to you. And I'm going to show, um, quote some scriptures to, to back it up. You can't fully understand a Tanakh without the Renewed Covenant uh, scriptures. You can't fully understand the Renewed Covenant scriptures without the Tanakh. You need both to have a complete understanding of the message of the Bible. Okay. So, let's understand a pivotal scripture. So many pivotal scriptures, but... Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Now, in the King James Version, this was not translated correctly at all. Uh, Hebrews 8, verse 6. I'm going to read it in the King James Version. It states, But now have he ordained a more excellent ministry. It's not going to talk about Yeshua, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Okay, the word established... In original Greek, means to legislate. It means nom of et eo. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Non of et eo means to, to, to legislate, that is, passively to have the mosaic enactments enjoined to be sanctioned to establish the law or receive the law. Now, Stern, or David Stern, in his complete Jewish Bible translation, which is, he definitely was on the nose translating this correctly, this is the way he translates the scripture. And this is the correct translation based on what I just told you. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now the work of Yeshua has been given to, 
to do is far superior to theirs. Talking about his Melchizedek ministry versus the Levite ministry. Just as the covenant, he mediates is better. Or the agreement to keep the Torah. For this covenant or agreement to keep the Torah has been given as Torah. So for this agreement has been given as Torah on the basis of better promises. So what this is saying is that the Messiah of Torah is also Torah, is instruction from the Father, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So that word established should be translated Torah or law. Now, another scripture in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. It states this. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, that word law, again, is the same word, uh, nam of etio, is nam of et eo in the Greek, and it means to legislate, is the Mosaic law. All right? Uh, for under it the people received the Torah. And that's translated um, in the complete Jewish Bible version this way. It says, therefore, it is, if it had been possible to reach the goal through the system of Koranim derived from Levi, since in connection with it the people were given the Torah, what need would have been for another different kind of Kohen, the one spoken of as to be compared with Malchi, Zedek, and not to be compared with Aaron? All right, so that's scriptural proof through the King James Version of that word and, and the word study. word analysis help that I have. It says it means a legislator to legislate to make or give laws, establish the law. In the New Testament, in the passage to be legislated to receive laws, Hebrews 7 verse 11, meaning for the people to receive the Mosaic law upon condition of being under the Levitical priesthood. It establishes sanction as law by law. See, so that there's only two places in the entire renewed covenant scriptures that this, this word is used. And it means the giving of the law of the Torah. That's what it means. All right. So this is huge. Uh, because, like I said, there's there's people that are thinking that the renewed covenant scriptures is just commentary or it's not something that is important to take serious. Uh, they have all kinds of excuses um, why they think that the apostolic scriptures is, is less than the Tanakh. And I say the nay because... Yeshua is the embodiment of the, the Torah. If he came down to help us better understand the Torah, Moses is not to be taken lightly, ladies and gentlemen. And you, you're going off the, the cliff if, if you think that. Um, Matthew 5, verse 17 to 18. Well, actually, yeah, I wanted to read uh, something from Stern here in his commentary. Uh, he states uh, right here in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. He says the new covenant, he calls it new because the renewed covenant, has been given as Torah. This is a virtually, and this is on page uh, 687. This is a, of the uh, Jewish New Testament commentary. This is a virtually unknown theological truth of far-reaching importance. First, although there are many, both Jews and Christians, who suppose that the New Testament abrogated the Torah, the New Testament here explicitly states that it has itself been given as Torah or instruction. Obviously, if the New Testament is Torah, then the Torah has not been abrogated. Instead, the New Testament has been given the same status as the Torah of Moses. Let me underscore this. 
the New Testament has been given the same status as the Torah of Moses. That is, it has come to have the highest authority there is. The authority that accompanies uh, prom- prom- um, promulgation by God himself. One might say that the Torah has been expanded, or better, that Torah has been made more explicit. I think that's a better, it's been made, not expanded, but made more explicit. Uh, help us to better understand it. That's what the Torah of uh, Messiah is. Second, that the fact that the, I'll just say, renewed covenant has been given as Torah means that a Jew is not Torah true. He is not a Torah observant Jew unless he accepts the renewed covenant testament as Torah. All right, so. And I just, uh, he says right here, and I love this. He says, I challenge non-Messianic Jews and Gentile Christians alike to recognize that the renewed covenant has been, or the New Testament has been given as Torah, to recognize the three implications of this fact stated in the three initial paragraphs. I'm not going to read all of it here, but I suggest that you, because he does a marvelous job of explaining this. And I don't have time really to go into detail with it. But anyway, Matthew 5, verse 17 to 18. Matthew 5, verse 17 to 18. says, think not, and you know, whenever God tells us not to do something, we do it. And then <laughs> the opposite happens. But anyway, Matthew 5, verse 17, think not that I have come to destroy the Torah or the prophets. All right? I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. So he said he did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, which includes the, the writings, Psalms, and so forth. Uh, he did not come to destroy any of that, ladies and gentlemen, despite what people preach. He came to fulfill or complete our understanding on how to keep. All right, and verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the, from the Torah to all be fulfilled. All right, and heaven and earth is still here, so and Yeshua doesn't lie. God does not lie. Okay, so, in John 7, verse 19, he stated the following. In red letters in your King James Version. Did not Moses give you the law? And we went over that, and you understand, he didn't create the law, he gave the law. And none of you keep the law, so he's saying a lot of them had a problem keeping it. And that's one of the major reasons why he came to show us how to keep it. Okay. He didn't take away from it, he just showed us how. And in Deuteronomy 18. And, and, and Yah already prepared for this due to Prophet Moses. He knew that they would have a difficult time understanding the Torah, so he prophesied he would bring his Messiah. And Messiah, not only was he, he came to the earth to sacrifice his life for all of mankind, but also he came to show us how to keep the Torah. Because uh, they struggled on how to keep it. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. Uh, let me give you an example. The Even back then, the... The Jews, they had an oral law. It wasn't written down in, in, in a book called the Mishnah. They did that later on, uh, around 250 A.D. or 280 A.D. I can't remember exactly. But but prior to that, they had a had tradition. And their traditions perverted the law of God. Hold your place here in Deuteronomy 18. Let me, let me go to another scripture to prove this to you here. Okay. 
Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with the defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands, off eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Okay? Verse 4. And when they came from the market, except they washed, they eat not, and many other things there be, which... They have received a hold on the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? In verse 6, he answered and said unto him, Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 7, Howbeit in vain, meaningless. Do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other things you do. If there's any law that he came to destroy, it was the, the law of the rabbis that did away with the law of God. That's what he came to destroy, ladies and gentlemen. That's what was nailed to the cross. Verse 9, and he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. All right? That's what he came to destroy, not the correct instructions of the Torah of Moses, which is the Torah of God, uh, for proof of that. Just look at Nehemiah and Nehemiah chapter 8. The Torah of Moses is the Torah of God. Moses only, he used Moses to bring the Torah, as I proved to you at the beginning of this program. And it's not anything different than the Torah of the Messiah. The Torah of the Messiah helps us understand. This, let me let me explain. The Torah of Messiah is the, the filter. <laughs> it filters successfully all the um, incorrect traditions that the, the rabbis taught. It helps um, get rid of all the misinterpretations to help you misinterpret the Torah of Moses. That's what the Torah of Messiah is. It's like our magnifying glass or our filter to help us better understand the Torah of Moses in light and in the context of all the traditions of the Jews. And it helps us figure out which traditions we should keep that are in light with the Torah of Yah and those we should get rid of. That's what the Torah of Messiah effectively does. And it helps us better understand the Torah uh, of um Moses or the Torah of God as well. Okay. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And one of the most famous prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto me, thee, and talking about to Moses, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall, see, so let's understand something. So you'll understand the importance of the renewed covenant scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. The Father told I am, which is the word of God, to tell this to Moses, all right? Of course, he was talking about himself coming uh, as a human being. He says, I will raise up to them a prophet himself from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. So the father's words was put in his mouth. 
and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So all the all I just read to you what Jesus said in, in John chapter twelve verse forty nine. He says all the Father commanded him to say something, and he said it. So this is a fulfillment of this scripture. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Verse nineteen. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name. So that's what the Messiah the Messiah speaks the Father's words. He's he's the Father's spokesman. I will require with him, and then a even a better midrash or interpretation of this, because that's what again the Torah of Messiah does is help us better understand the Torah of Moses. Uh, let's turn to Acts chapter three. Acts chapter 3, verse 20 to 23. And he shall send Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive unto the times of restitution of all things, which God, or Yah, has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And here's the key verse here. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Verse 23, And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet, or Yeshua Messiah, shall be destroyed from among the people. So that's what that scripture in Deuteronomy 18 Verses 18 and 19 means that the person will ultimately be destroyed if you will not hear and obey that prophet's words, which are really the Father's words because the Father gave him what to say and what not to say. can be any plainer than that. Okay. Now, Yeshua is greater than Moses because he was before Moses. Uh he is the Word of God, and He is an apostle, for those who don't understand that. I just read to you John chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, Hebrews chapter 1. Let me, let me read to you how great the Torah of God is, the Word of God, Yeshua Messiah. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in various manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, having these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed here of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Yeshua, sir, I mean, Messiah, oh, what's his name? <laughs> Moshe did not create the worlds. Did he create the worlds? No. In verse 3, and, and Moses certainly isn't doesn't fit this description here. Who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Moje certainly was not qualified to purge our sins. Sat down on the right hand, and he's certainly not sitting at the right hand of the majesty, which is another name for the Father, on high. Okay? And he was made so much better than the angels, which is uh, interesting. But anyway, uh So that's the greatness of him. And then Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 1 to 6. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle 
the apostle. So, Yeshua is considered an apostle. He is an apostle, along with the rest. He's the chief apostle, the chiefest of apostles. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Yeshua Messiah. So this is interesting to understand that he's an apostle, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 2, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. And you know who appointed him, the father. Verse 3, for this was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So he's more glory, yeah, he has more glory than Moses. Insomuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. <laughs> and he built the house, okay? For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And, of course, Yeshua created all things, right? Verse 5, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony, was verily faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afar. But Messiah, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast, the confidence and the rejoicing of the whole firm until the end. So I just want to quote that so people can understand that uh, Yeshua is greater than Moses, ladies and gentlemen. I, I think sometimes that needs to be stated. Because I think perhaps some people don't understand or for some reason they just, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, John chapter 5, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Verse 21, for as the Father has raised up the Son, raised up the dead, rather, and quickened them, even so the Son quicken whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but committeth all judgment unto the Son. Verse 23, that all should honor the Son even as they honor the Father, he that honors not the Son, honors not the Father which has sent him. So that's important. If you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my word and believe on him that sent me have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall live. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so have he given to the Son to have life in himself, and have given him authority. So, again, the Father gave the Son authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. It says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation, unfortunately. So that again, I'm just reading this to you to show you how great the Messiah is. John chapter 3, verse 16 to 21. Um, well, you understand that uh, as far as him... I've read that several times before. I guess I can read it again here in light of uh, the Passover season. John 3, verse 16. Verse 14, right? John 3, verse 14. Let's start there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Probably the most 
one of the most famous scriptures of all time that people um, understand, but they don't read the rest of it here in the context. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Of course, when he's talking about world, he's talking about those who are capable of repenting. That whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Of course, those who can be saved. Verse 18, he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because there are deeds. Oh, there's deeds involved. Yes, there's deeds involved in this process. We're evil. Verse 20, for everyone that does evil hates the light, Neither comes to the light, that not his deeds should be reproved or exposed. Verse 21, but he that does truth comes to, and what's truth? Keeping Torah, the instructions and doctrines of Yah, or God, cometh to the light, that his deeds may, and this is significant, that you don't do truth unless you it involves deeds. You have to do truth. You don't say truth. You do truth. <laughs> it's something that you do. You do Torah. Cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Okay. Now, the assembly of Yah, which is uh, unfortunately translated church, should be assembly, congregation of Yah, the believers, the called out ones of Yah, is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So this is something that I hope is you better understand now. Because Ephesians, which is an epistle of Shaul, which is considered scripture according to Second Peter chapter three, verse fifteen to sixteen, all right, states that the foundation of the believers is not just the Tanakh, it's also the renewed covenant scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. Um in uh Ephesians. Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 20. Now, starting in verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We are part of Israel, if you read the context above. Verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles. Of course, Yeshua is the chief apostle and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So you can picture in your mind, please picture this in your mind. You have the apostles and you have the prophets. You have the apostles on the left, prophets on the right, and then you you have uh, the Messiah above both. And, of course, you have the Father above him. That is the structure. That's the hierarchy of government that the foundation of the assembly should be based on. You can't have one without the other. You just can't just focus on the apostles and not the prophets. And you can't just focus on the prophets without the apostles. They are together. So they are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grow up into a holy temple in the Lord. So let's understand, for those who are carpenters, if you don't have the correct foundation, what's going to happen? Whatever you build is going to fall apart. So if you don't understand the importance of the apostles, then your understanding of the scriptures will fall apart. If you don't understand the importance of the prophets, 
and yet you leave out the uh, apostles, then it's going to fall apart. And then if you just focus too much on the apostles and leave out the prophets, which is the Tanakh, then it's going to fall apart. You have to have both the Tanakh and the Renewed Covenant Scriptures. And see, this, this is unfortunate because you have a group of people around the world that just consider the Tanakh the Scriptures. You know who those are, right? The Jews. And then you have those who just consider the New Testament or the Renewed Covenant Scriptures as important. And then the Tanakh is just history and, you know, it's just something to to read and little stories, but it's not significant. But you can't do that. You can't do that to have a complete understanding. The true believer understands that the apostles and the prophets, prophetic scriptures, are scripture. And it's a complete whole picture of the message of Yah. All came from the mouth of Yah. Okay. So, I want you to understand something. The names of the twelve apostles, and you know, the prophets are not going to be uh, on the twelve foundations of New Jerusalem, but the name of the twelve apostles. And I'm just quoting you scriptures here to help you understand the importance of the apostolic scriptures. Obviously, Yah thinks the apostles' writings are very important. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. 21, verse 14 says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, interesting, talks about foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay, so the name of each of the 12 apostles of the Lamb will be built into the 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem. The, the prophets' names aren't going to be there. I mean, it's not revealed that that's, I'm just, what I'm trying to, to, to help you to understand is that Yah doesn't view the apostolic scriptures any less than the, the Tanakh, ladies and gentlemen. All right? And this is all scripture. Um, the twelve apostles would judge the twelve tribes of Israel. In Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, it states this, and verse 27, for the context here. Then answered Peter and said unto them, Behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And verse 28, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay? So here we go. We better not take the apostolic scriptures lightly, ladies and gentlemen. Yah certainly isn't. He certainly isn't. A, and then let me quote these scriptures uh, to you. Second Peter, chapter 3. This second epistle, Second Peter 3, verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us by the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So the words of the prophets and the apostles are put on the, on the same level, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Jude 17 and 19, this is one chapter. Jude 
But, beloved, remember, in the King James, but remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's telling us, remember the words of the apostles, which is the renewed covenant scriptures. Verse 18, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Okay. And 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm fully aware that Shaul wrote this to Timothy, but it's scripture. It's scripture. And he told Timothy also the definition of scripture or the instructions of God, and, and I'm going to read that to you too, but anyway. Uh, it says, perverse disputings of men and of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is a godliness. Wait a minute, where am I at here? First um, Timothy 6, verse 3 to 5, I'm sorry. All right, he's telling Timothy as an as an elder here the following instructions. And again, this is scripture, and this is something that should also be applied today for those who are running congregations. First uh, Timothy six verse one: Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masses worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Verse two: And they that have believing masters. Let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Verse 3, if any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, so he's saying that his words are wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Yeshua. What are the words of the Lord of, uh, what are the words of our Lord Yeshua, Messiah? They are the words of the Father. The Father gave him the words to give to us through his apostles, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud. Knowing this telling you, if you don't take the, the renewed covenant scripture seriously, you're proud, knowing nothing, but dotting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come of envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. So anyway, the point I'm making is that we have to take the apostles' words seriously because they are the words of Christ. Christ inspired the apostles to write the scriptures as revealed in Hebrews chapter three, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. He inspired them to write. And those words came from the Father. Revelation chapter 2. Actually, no, I'm going to read Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Yeshua Messiah, which God the Father gave unto him, to show unto his servants, which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified by his angel. So I want you to understand how Torah comes. It comes from the Father. The Father gives it to Yeshua. And Yeshua, a lot of times, gives it to his angels, and the angels give the word to uh, his servants. Uh, Daniel's a prime example of that. He had angels. Uh, the Father, through Yeshua, had angels come to him and, and, and help him to understand the prophecies that uh, God was inspiring him to write down in the book of Daniel. Okay, and 
we have to understand that the, um, the Tanakh was written for our example. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, I don't know, okay, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is another scripture here, that ye all speak the same thing. This should be the goal, ladies and gentlemen, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And that's what he hopes that we do. But when we have these issues with people not taking the New Testament or apostolic scriptures seriously, um, you have issues where uh, people aren't taking the Tanakh or the Old Testament series, that's when you're going to run into all these divisions. And that's why we have like over 33,000 different denominations in this country. It's ridiculous because people can't make up their mind to believe all the instructions of God, all the scriptures. So it's, it's just unfortunate, but that that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. And so the father talked the Son, the Torah, and Yeshua's words are the words of the Father. All right, and, that, and that's something that I, I just wanted to, to to make perfectly clear to you. And I hope I have. I certainly hope I have. And uh, let's see what else here. Oh, let me read to you what Second Timothy chapter three states about the definition of Scripture. And it says all Scripture, and we understand that Scripture now is also um, Shaul's writings and the apostolic scriptures. All right, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In verse seventeen, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. The scripture also includes uh, Shaul's epistles, and it also includes the entire New Testament ladies and gentlemen. And we can't make the mistake of thinking that Yeshua's words are any less than Moses' than Moses' words. All right? Uh, it's all in there for you to see for yourself. So um, that, I just wanted to make that point. And we have to believe all the words. Uh, Yeshua stated that um, we must live by every word of God in Matthew 4, verse 4. And that means every word of God that comes from the Father is given to him and he gives it to, to his servants. So I do have a caller here. And Hello Walter. there, Kennard. This Hello. is your old buddy, buddy Curtis calling. Hey, Curtis. How's it going? Good. I just wanted to uh, ask um, how Deuteronomy 12.32 fits into what you're saying. Um, I do believe Paul, especially through Acts, uh, did... Uh, obey all of the Torah, including uh, even the uh, law of Rome, so they had no accusation against him. Uh, but I was wondering, at what point does Deuteronomy 12:32, which is whatever I command you, be careful to observe it, you shall mm -hmm. not add to or take away from it. Um, so where does that get cut off as far as even church fathers or anybody else? When does it become the word of God and when does it not? Does it become a tradition of man, if you will? Right. As I was saying, um, Curtis, um, the Torah of Messiah, which is is in Galatians six verse two, is 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 the same as the Torah of Moses. And uh, what happened is that, as I, I think I explained earlier in the program, that uh, Jews, even back then, it began back then, they start misinterpreting the law. 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18 and 19, he prophesied through Moses that there would be another prophet like Moses that would help people understand the law. Because in, in, in John chapter 7, what did he say? He said that, hey, didn't Moses give you the law and, and hardly any of you obey it? Right. Right. So he came not to destroy it, but to help us better understand it. Right. But he never, even Yeshua himself, never added an additional commandment. No, I'm not saying he didn't. No. Right. No, I'm not saying he didn't understand any. He did not add any additional commandment. What he did add, if there's anything he added, was help us to better understand it, a better understanding toward how to keep it. Right. But earlier you were stating um, that one of Paul's instructions was that, um, you know, as far as the Torah teacher should be taken care of, and you said, well, it's nowhere to be found in the Tanakh. Well, then is that added to his instruction, or is that just a... uh, you know, an idea or a thought that he came up with. He said, this is a good idea, but I cannot make it to the same level of the Torah. The concept is in the Tanakh, you know, but that statement, that exact statement about the labor is worthy of his hire, is not in the Tanakh. But, of course, the concept is there because before he quoted those words that Yeshua stated, he talked about the ox, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so basically he's he's lining that up with that. And see... The Torah of the Messiah, all it does is help us better understand the Torah of Moses. Right. I I totally totally agree with you on that. Um, And so I guess where would you, uh, where would the traditions of men, because I'm sure even a a Jew today um, Mm -hmm. would say, well, some of our traditions totally fit in with helping you to understand more of the Torah ideas. Well, not according to what Yeshua stated. <laughs> right, right. I understand that, too. That's yeah, in Mark chapter 7. What did he, yeah, what did he say here? I mean, uh, he said uh, he quoted something from the Tanakh. <laughs> he, said, right. he said, well, well, have Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips. He's, that's one thing I like about him, among the many things, is that he, he goes back to the Torah. Like, he goes back to the Tanakh, you know? You know, and he's trying to prove, hey, you guys don't even understand your own law, you know? Uh, these people honor me with their lips, but with their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctors the commandments of men? Right. For, for laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men. And, yeah, and you still also stated, too, that when uh, the scribes and Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses, which would be speaking the Torah, Yes. Uh, that you are to do everything they say. But when they do, do that. They do. Right, but don't do what they do, because they don't do the Torah. A bunch of hypocrites, right, and they right. are today, unfortunately. It says, full well you reject the commandment of Torah, or right. God, that you keep your own tradition. And see, what he did, if anything that he destroyed, Curtis, he destroyed their traditions that may void the Torah of Moses, the Torah of Yah. That's what right. he destroyed. Right, you're right. Their, their traditions of men did not uphold the Torah. Right. In other words, they didn't help to explain it. They tore it down. Right, exactly. They tore it down. And then he gave an example here. This is in Torah. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. You know? And right. they were given an excuse. Well, I've got to give the temple tax or whatever it was, Corbin. Okay? Uh, and, and we can just avoid taking care of our parents. Right. And they just destroyed that, 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 that uh, instruction there. Yeah. Good point. 
Yeah, see, so that that's that's. Um, but I, I'm just I noticed I, I was going to get around to talking about this eventually, <laughs> you know. And I know it's a it's a it's a touchy subject for some messianics about, um, you know, the apostolic scriptures and so forth. Right, and as Torah teachers, I believe you know that's what we are to do too is uphold the Torah. Now, do we use examples and things that are not found in the scripture? Well, I think we do all the time, but it upholds right. what the, what the basis of the Torah is. Right. With, and that helps people understand. Exactly, yeah. See, and, and you know, the Messiah has instructions, but, again, he, he did not, because he said himself, he'd be lying. He said that he would not, he did not come to destroy the, the Torah of Moses, which is the Torah of God. He came to complete the understanding of how we keep it. And I wish it was translated that way, you know. Right, me too. In fact, when he said, this is a new commandment I give you, and then he says, well, it's not really a new commandment. It's one you've had all along. There we go. Right, right. See, and I guess if there's anything that was new that he did was when he came on the earth, this was the first time he had a perfect human being, and he did everything right. Because <laughs> oh, right. that's, that's never happened in the history of the world where there was one human being that did everything right. That's right. Yeah. So if there's anything new, that's it. Other, everything else is not new. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks, Bernard. I'm going to let you go. You only have 50 seconds left to go. I'll let you close your show. <laughs> well, I enjoyed the conversation. You bet. I love you, brother. God bless. Love you, too. Shalom. Shalom. Yeah, that's a good friend of mine, uh, Curtis, and I uh, enjoyed the conversation with him, as always. But he, when we get in the conversation, we, we start talking. <laughs> but anyway, uh, with that, uh, that's a good way to end the program. Um, shalom, and I'm going to continue on with this uh, next week. There's some other things I wanted to talk about, but... Uh, uh, may everyone have a good work week, and uh, y'all willing, I'll be available to you uh, next week. Shalom. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 